We've been using the lectionary through our history as a church, and it is a remarkable thing that on our first Sunday in this new place, the lectionary Old Testament reading starts in the beginning. Hear these familiar words from the book of Genesis, chapter one, the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, in this space of new beginnings, in this church that is a new beginning, Creator God, we are mad, we are awed by what you are creating. Let us now receive the word you were creating in our hearts. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So since we have so many visitors, I feel like I should introduce myself. Plus, we're in a new church space, so we'll talk a little bit about that today. So I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm also a scientist. Um, I'm a physicist. I work for the Army. I do research at Rice University where I'm on the faculty. Um, I do uh, research in light, as it turns out. And for many years, um, people have challenged me, how can you both be a scientist and a pastor? That doesn't make any sense. you got to pick, don't you? Well, I've been doing a Star of Bethlehem presentation for, gosh, almost 30 years now. Uh, a presentation that came out of a Sunday school class from a church that I attended regularly, the church Patricia and I and got married in many years ago, that, that tells my story of how taking science and religion together can give you a greater understanding of what God is doing. And using the events of Jesus' birth and the appearance of the star in Bethlehem, using actual historical records and scientific knowledge, as well as taking Scripture seriously, we find that the Christmas story is richer than we've been telling. And I look forward to giving that presentation here in our new space in the new year. I used to give it several times a year back in Alabama, but I haven't really gotten the word out that I do this thing. But uh, it's available online, YouTube and, and Venmo, and I can give you the link if you'd like to see it. We'll definitely be doing that here, too. So you're going to get a mix of, of God and, and some, a little bit of science from time to time when you come and hear me preach, just as a forewarning. Um, I've been a pastor in the Methodist Church since 2016, and I've been serving as a pastor in the new global Methodist Church since I was ordained back in July. And it's been a great honor to be the first pastor here at Central Houston Methodist Church. So let's talk about 
what's going on in the church calendar. This is a confusing Sunday. There's a lot of things going on. We're uh, eight days after Christmas. Uh, it's the new year. Uh, it's, it, yesterday was Epiphany, so we talk about the wise men coming and the star of Bethlehem. And then today we heard a reading about Jesus' baptism. Much too much to cover in any one sermon, so we're not going to cover all that. Instead, we're going to talk about the light elements that came from Epiphany and the story from yesterday of the wise men coming to see Jesus. Now, what does epiphany mean? It sounds like a church word, but it's actually a, a, a real word that we can use in common language. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary it describes or defines epiphany as an illuminating discovery, an aha moment, if you will. But for Christians, it has a more specific meaning. It represents the time when Jesus first encountered Gentiles. Specifically, the wise men, the magi who came from the east, who, so called, who supposedly followed a star in the sky. And in my presentation, you'll see both of those statements are wrong, but they got to the right place. So that's all that really mattered. Um, Epiphany has always been associated with light. You see, our colors have changed. We all have light here. We have big lighting here. The new year represents light coming back into the world. We're past the solstice. The days are getting longer. Thank goodness. And light is definitely on our mind is something that we love. And we've come out of Advent, which was a period of darkness. We love coming back into the light. As a scientist, as a scientist who studies light, I have to admit, I spend a lot of my time in darkness. In darkness because I need to control the light. So I can only allow the light that I need in, in my laboratory. And what's really interesting is that we have the equations that describe light. They were written out by, uh, first by James Clark Maxwell. We call them Maxwell's equations. And, and, and I can tell you a whole bunch of stuff about light, but then you'd all leave. So I'm not going to do that. But what's interesting is that we don't have any equations for darkness. There's no need for any equations for darkness. Darkness is the absence of everything, so there are no equations for darkness. There's only equations for light. Did you know that? That, to me, says that light is an intrusion into the darkness. That darkness maybe is the natural state of things, and light is the exception. Light had to be created. Darkness was always there. Indeed, that's... What creation started with, isn't it? It started with nothing. It started with darkness. And God created light. And bang, the universe was created. Whether you believe the Big Bang was the beginning of it, like I do, or if you believe it was a spoken word, like I do, or both, like I do, God did it. And it was good. But it leads to an insight that maybe you haven't had before. That the laws of nature are only needed if there is a nature. If there is a creation. And creation required intent. We don't believe creation was an accident. As Christians, we believe this was an act of God, a spoken act of God. God intentionally chose to create the universe. And by that statement, you should also understand God did not have to do it. God created because he wanted to, not because he had to. Creation is a gift of love 
an act of grace by a God who acted because he was not satisfied with the way things were, but intentionally created light in the darkness, created nature in the nothingness. And if you never realized it before, Jesus's birth is a small echo of that creation event where the light of the world was born in darkness at night as a baby in a manger. Maybe all this explains why we don't like darkness. Americans are very intentional about light. My wife and I have light wars at home. I like it darker. Maybe it's because I'm the spectroscopist. I also am an astronomer. So darkness feels comfortable to me because I like seeing the light I want to see, not being flooded by light that I don't want. But she likes a lot of light. And, and, and Americans like a lot of light. I looked it up yesterday. We spend $40 billion a year on lighting in this country because we don't like the light, I mean, the, the darkness. But there are other kinds of darkness in the world, too, aren't there? Disease, poverty, loneliness, evil. And it feels like each of these may be a natural state of things, an inevitable trap that we may fall into. There but for the grace of God go I. And so we fight these things, don't we? We fight disease with medicine and with doctors and with research and with hospitals. We fight poverty by creating jobs and creating charities and being generous givers. We fight loneliness by compassionate connection through family and friends. We fight evil by accepting Jesus Christ and proclaiming the good news and building churches like we're doing here today. Notice that all of those things also take intent. We have to fight against it, that maybe that kind of darkness is the natural state of things, but we fight against it by shining a light into those dark areas as well. And we change things for the better. And Lord knows, the Lord knows we need help. We have to be intentional. And I want to give you an example of one kind of intentionality that I think may be particularly relevant for us here today. I want to tell you a story about the church I grew up in, in Alabama, the church I served for many years before coming here, both as a lay leader and then as an associate pastor. This is Huntsville, Alabama, First United Methodist Church. It was a downtown church, more than 200 years old. It was started in 1808 when Methodism was still a very new thing in the, in the United States of America. This was the first church in the state of Alabama. It's now 215 years old. And soon after it started, it was served by circuit riders. You've heard of circuit riders, right? They, this was a church served by circuit riders in the Flint River Circuit. And it grew through circuit riders until they finally appointed a full-time pastor. And then by the time of the Civil War, it was a pretty healthy church in a downtown city that had once been the capital of the state of Alabama. Well, during the war, 1864, the Union forces, while occupying Huntsville, decided they needed a place to quarter their horses and shelter their soldiers. So they put them in our sanctuary. The pastor was not happy about this. Not just the unholiness of having horses in the sanctuary, 
But there's hay on the ground and the soldiers are cooking their meals in fire with fire pots. And the pastor's afraid they're going to burn the church down. Guess what? That's what happened the next night. Now, we don't know whether that was an accident or whether it was the commanding officer saying this isn't your church anymore. I can do anything I want with it. Some of us have an opinion about that. Regardless, the church was lost. And that church that had been standing there for, all, for more than 60, almost 60 years was no more. The war ended a year later. The people were destitute. No, no food, no money, no jobs. Reconstruction was just beginning. And those Methodists had been meeting in each other's houses. The Presbyterian and the Episcopal Church had allowed them to meet at times in, in their space when they weren't using it. The Methodists, after the war, said, we need to rebuild our church. And so in 1867, they laid a cornerstone. These hundred or so members of the church at that time decided to build a church, not for the hundred or so members they had at the time, but a big sanctuary that would hold more than 500. They said, we're going to step out intentionally in faith to God, letting God fill this space with the souls that he has brought So how did it turn out? Well, I mentioned that that's the church I grew up in. Huntsville First United Methodist Church before COVID was one of the largest churches in the North Alabama Conference. We had six pastors on staff, including me at the time. We averaged more than a thousand in worship on a Sunday and had 3,500 members. That act of faith paid off. In fact, some of you may know the pastor who served Houston First Methodist here for many years, Bill Henson. When he retired, it was my church that he came to and preached at with that history. And now coming from that church, we're here. The point behind me telling you this story is about the faith-based intentional step they took. Going beyond what they saw was possible with their own hands, but knowing and trusting that God could do something even bigger through them. Those visionary Methodists built a church that became a legacy that lasted long after they were gone. None of them got to see how that church grew and, and was healthy, but they in faith stepped out and did that. Friends, I believe this is what the Lord has in store for us here, too. At Central Houston Methodist. We've come out of a different kind of civil war. And a new day has dawned for us like it was for them. This is our time today to act faithfully like those Methodists did 157 years ago in Huntsville, Alabama. In our first service back in July at the Scout House, you may, those of you who were there will recall that we handed out seeds as a sign of what the Lord is doing. Well, I'm here today to declare those seeds have sprouted. And I think this is just the beginning. The Lord has something even bigger, bigger in mind than the sprouts that have come. He has in mind trees that are even bigger than the ones that are out in our front yard here today. If we will continue to act intentionally and faithfully, the Lord has something miraculous in store for us in our midst. How will this be accomplished? How will this happen? It will happen with focus. 
Let me tell you as a scientist, the way you concentrate light is with the lens. You focus. You focus on those things that make the biggest difference and they will make it happen. We here at Central Houston Methodist Church, a part of the new global Methodist congregation, uh, denomination, embrace openly and proudly our Wesleyan roots, John and Charles Wesley, roots that faithful Methodists have followed for centuries. These roots include being focused on experiencing means of grace through small groups and encounters with Jesus Christ in everything that we do. We are focused on Armenian Wesleyan theology that understands that God gave us free will and the consequences that go with that so that we may choose him with the assurance that Jesus died for all of us. We are focused with an evangelistic zeal that will not rest until the good news is spread to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, starting with the many children you saw gathered here this morning for children's message. This is a key ministry that our church is emphasizing in the new year. And perhaps most importantly, we stay focused on the firm foundations of scriptural authority and Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that when taken seriously will transform your life. Hear these words. It is we ourselves, not the Bible, that need to be transformed. It is we ourselves, not the Bible, that needs to be perfected because God's purpose was not to make Jesus look like us, but to make us look like Jesus. Got to get an amen on that? All right. The great church father Athanasius put it this way. God became what we are so that we might become what he is. C.S. Lewis put it even more simply, we are to become little Christ. This is our purpose. This is what Wesley meant when he talked about moving into perfection, using the perfect grace of God. We are to become more and more like Christ. And that is the mission of this church, to become more like Christ. What does that mean? Well, God sent the light of the world to us intentionally as a loving intrusion into our darkness. But he didn't come just to shine a light into each one of us. Jesus said the following two statements that may at first seem contradictory, but in fact tell you the whole story. Jesus said both, I am the light of the world, and Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Because Jesus is the light of the world, our mission statement is to be the light of the world too. We are to shine the the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness of others. You are the light of the world is the mission statement Jesus gives to the church. Now, as we wrap up here, I have to mention that other churches have used different mission statements than that. They want to capture their unique calling, their unique mission. My old church in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, First United Methodist Church, had a mission statement that served it well for a long time. But it gave it up and changed it to something else a few years ago. So when Central Houston Methodist was thinking about what mission statement should it have for itself, I recommended the one from my old church, and it was adopted. You know what it is? In the heart of the city, in the name of Christ. Both Jesus' mission statement, you are the light of the world, and in the heart of the city, in the name of Christ, both implicitly say there is a darkness out there that we have to fight intentionally. And the only way it can be overcome is through the work of Jesus Christ in us, And through us, Central Houston Methodist Church has taken gigantic steps from a year ago when this was inconceivable to six months ago when we had our first worship service to today's first worship in this new space. And I believe in the years to come, even bigger leaps are are ahead of us. 
I invite you to be a part of the light God is shining in the darkness. Here, in the heart of the city, in the name of Christ. For God is the creator and source of all light. And he has declared it good. Let us pray. Lord, we are amazed at your love for your creation. When we pause for just a second and recognize that you didn't have to do any of this. That all of this is your choice. Our existence is your choice. Your act of love. We are staggered by your grace. Make us worthy of that love. Transform our hearts. Remove darkness and replace them with mirrors that reflect your light into the world around us. As a sign of gratitude for what you've done in us, transform us, make us more like Christ so that we may be a witness to who Christ is to the world. So that your good news may be spread and your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I invite you to, to stand and sing in response, a hymn of response in your hymnal, 217. Shine, Jesus, shine.